Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The strongest public comments yet from the U.S. Secretary of State. The lead starts right now. A global outcry over civilian deaths in Gaza. America's top diplomat, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, says far too many Palestinians have been killed. That as CNN is learning about warnings from other American envoys in Arab countries. And Donald Trump on the attack as a judge indicates when one of his criminal trials could begin, potentially right before a key date on the 2024 calendar. Also, this just in breaking news as sources are telling CNN the FBI has seized the phones of New York City Mayor Eric Adams as an investigation heats up into possible illegal campaign contributions. And welcome to The Lead. I'm Caitlin Collins in for Jake Tapper today. We start with our world lead, a new video that shows the intense bombardment of Gaza carried out by Israeli forces. Sin and teams on the ground are hearing constant rocket fire. As you can see here, flares are lighting up the night sky. This is happening just hours after one of the most forceful calls that we have seen to date by Secretary of State Antony Blinken for Israel to do more to protect the innocent civilians who remain in Gaza, trapped in a brutal war between Israeli forces and the terror group Hamas. Far too many Palestinians have been killed. Far too many have suffered uh, these past weeks, and we want to do everything possible to prevent harm to them and to maximize the assistance that gets to them. It's quite a message to Israel. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says his forces are doing everything they can to reduce civilian deaths. As he highlighted, this evacuation corridor that you can see here, it was open for six hours today, allowing Palestinians to flee south from northern Gaza. But Israel has also confirmed that it was behind strikes on another refugee camp and other places where people have been sheltering, again blaming Hamas for embedding itself with civilians. CNN's Nick Robertson starts off our coverage today from Sterot, Israel, right outside of Gaza. Nick, tell us what you've been seeing in recent hours. Yeah, there appears to be an intense IDF ground fight going on uh, around Jabalia refugee camp. Of course, that particular area in Gaza, right in the north of the Gaza Strip, has been the focus of IDF efforts over the past couple of weeks. But a big ground battle underway. Flares dropped to help illuminate the ground for the troops. A smoke screen on the ground helping the troops hide behind uh, the smoke so that they can close in on what presumably must be a Hamas target. Interesting that they've been operating in this area and there is still the need for such an intense firefight. Heavy strikes, uh, airstrikes brought in on that position and we're still hearing the heavy detonations falling in this area. The IDF is continuing its operations against Hamas. 15,000 different uh, targeted strikes the the IDF says they've had. Um, They've rounded up more than 6,000 weapons. They say they're discovering weapons manufacturing uh, facilities in 
uh, close to schools. Uh, one was near a child's bedroom. But that's a difficulty for the IDF and gives you an idea of the intensity and slow nature of their fight. Hamas is an atomized force. It's not easy to take them out with one strike at a, at a big training facility. Um, and this is what the IDF is going through right now. That humanitarian corridor, at the same time as the fight is going on, allowing civilians to flee north to south. But IDF tanks have been seen around hospitals today, and the IDF pushing back on the claims from one hospital that it was struck by IDF fire. The IDF saying, in fact, that was a misfired Hamas or one of the other group's uh, attempts to target the IDF. But the international condemnation, as, you, as you've been saying, is growing. We heard from the head of the International Committee for the Red Cross saying that the, the health care facilities in Gaza are at a point of no return. We know from the Palestinian health officials, Hamas run, that 193 health care workers have been killed, 60 ambulances damaged, 21 of 35 hospitals completely out of service, 51 of 72 healthcare clinics out of service. So the humanitarian situation is deteriorating while the fight for, to destroy Hamas seems to be just going at a slow and difficult but very hard, hardly fought pace. Caitlin? Yeah, and Nick, you mentioned that six-hour corridor that, that happened today that has now been formalized by Israel and an announcement from the U.S. on that yesterday. I think the big question is, do people feel safe using it, and are they confident that it is something that's going to be a regular daily occurrence? I think there's a degree of confidence in, that, in it that, that wasn't there a few, maybe about five or six days ago when it was reinstituted. There was a, a sense of many civilians in the north of Gaza when the ground offensive began. They didn't know how to get out. Now they see this corridor working. Tens of thousands of them are leaving. But it really raises this massive, massive unanswered question. And I think this gets to part, the root of part of the frustration between the White House and, and, Pres and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. All these people, these civilians are heading to the south, but the IDF is still having strikes in the south. You now have a double-density population in the south of the Gaza Strip. There's a small humanitarian area set aside. International NGOs, the UN, is saying, look, there simply isn't the structure there, the infrastructure to support the people, not their shelters, not the food, not the water, not the sanitation. And the reality is the IDF and Prime Minister Netanyahu both say that they need to go through the whole Gaza Strip. So you move the civilian population into the south to make them safe from the intensity of the fight in the north. You have a double density of civilians potentially in the way when that fight rolls into the south. There's no answer to this at the moment. Yeah, and we're continuing to hear those booms behind you. Nick Robertson we will continue to check in with you live on the ground in Sterot. Thank you. And as Nick was mentioning there, the situation for these hospitals in Gaza has become dire. And a hospital director, one of them who is in Gaza, says that tanks are completely surrounding the medical center, making it impossible for hundreds of people who are sheltering there to even leave, to move. They've run out of medicine. They've run out of water. They are now asking the Red Cross to help with those evacuations. CNN's Nada Bashir is live in Jerusalem. Nada, what do we know about this particular medical center and who is still there? 
Well, look, Caitlin, that appeal for support with the evacuation of patients and civilians came from the director of the El Nasser Hospital and the El Rantisi Pediatric Center in northern Gaza. This is one of the only pediatric centers left functioning uh, in northern Gaza. And as we know, there are many patients here who cannot be evacuated, including children reliant on life support and dialysis. And as we've heard, uh, as you mentioned there, they have said that they are being surrounded now by tanks, the World Health Organization has reported significant bombardment around this hospital complex and there's significant concern not only for the patients inside this hospital and the medical teams there who have said they will not abandon their patients but also of course for the countless families Palestinian civilians who have been taking shelter at this hospital complex like many hospitals across Gaza hoping that this will be some sort of safe haven or sanctuary from the relentless aerial bombardment that we are seeing across Gaza clearly that is not the case for many of these civilian areas and as we have seen today video emerging of civilians attempting to evacuate from this hospital complex of being seemingly pushed back by gunfire although it's unclear from which side that gunfire was coming from. Caitlin. So that's at one hospital and we're also hearing Nada from another uh, another hospital the World Health Organization says that that one is coming under bombardment. Israel has denied that it was behind that strike but what do we know if anything that's were able to confirm about what did happen there. Well, look, we're talking about the Al Shifa Hospital in Gaza. This is the largest hospital in Gaza. We already know it has been deeply overwhelmed by the uh, amount of patients there and also, of course, civilians taking shelter there. In the last few hours, of course, we have had that response from the IDF with regards to a strike which took place last night. We saw those distressing videos emerging of countless people injured on the outside uh, of the complex of the Al Shifa Hospital, said to be at the outpatient centre. Now, the IDF has denied responsibility for this uh, strike. They have said that the strike was the result of a misfire launched from within Gaza, reportedly aimed targeting uh, IDF troops in the vicinity. Now, Hamas, on the other hand, has accused Israel of carrying out an airstrike on the El Shifa hospital. And as we have seen, those warnings from medical teams on the ground repeatedly warning that Israel's airstrikes are edging closer and closer to medical facilities across northern Gaza. Caitlin? It's just raising so many concerns about the people who are staying there, sheltering there, trying to seek care. Nada Bashir in Jerusalem, thank you. Authorities in London right now are bracing for what is expected to be a significant march tomorrow over the ongoing war between Israel and Hamas. We are told police plan to double the number of officers that are on duty given the pro-Palestinian demonstration is expected to draw thousands of people. Every Saturday for the last month, we have seen thousands of people in London marching, protesting that rising civilian death toll that you just heard Nada talking about there. But tomorrow, tensions are expected to be even higher given it's Armistice Day, when the British commemorate the end of World War I. For weeks, we have seen these similar rallies in Paris, Egypt, Milan, here in New York, and also in Washington, D.C. In D.C., a lot of these protests have happened right outside the White House. And CNN is learning now that the Biden administration has been receiving urgent warnings from American diplomats stationed throughout the Middle East that its strong support that we have seen from President Biden for Israel's military campaign in Gaza is actually leading to growing anger and fury directed at the U.S. from the Arab world. CNN's Natasha Bertrand is covering this and has the latest reporting. Natasha, what exactly is the White House hearing from these diplomats? 
Well, Caitlin, they received a cable from the U.S. Embassy in Oman, and that was obtained by my colleague Priscilla Alvarez. And what the cable said was that the Arab world is increasingly angry with the Biden administration, with the U.S., for its seemingly unwavering support for Israel's military campaign in Gaza. And what it says is, uh, in pretty stark terms, that the U.S. is, quote, losing Arab publics for a generation, and that U.S. support for Israel is being seen across the Arab world as, quote, material and moral culpability in what they consider to be possible war crimes. And this cable was sent from the U.S. Embassy in Oman and Muscat to the NSC, the, the FBI, and the CIA, really as a warning just about all of the anger that is currently being directed to the U.S. But, you know, this is something that the Arab leaders have really directed uh, to the U.S. Uh, directly, have, have told the U.S. directly. Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State, he met with many of these Arab leaders, including the leaders of Jordan and Egypt, last week. And the call from those allies was for a ceasefire. They want to see the fighting stop completely. But Blinken and the U.S. were at large, they have not been prepared to support that. What they are supporting at this moment are simply pauses in the fighting, uh, day-long pauses, three-day-long pauses. But, you know, the Israelis are not uh, agreeing to that at this point. So what we are seeing, as you have been talking about with our correspondents there, we have seen hour-long pauses, six-hour-long pauses uh, for to allow civilians to get out. Yeah, a question of if those get longer and if they stay a daily occurrence. Natasha Bertrand, thank you for that. Up next, we do have the breaking news that I mentioned at the top of the hour. A source confirming to CNN that the FBI has seized devices belonging to New York City Mayor Eric Adams. The move, part of an investigation into his campaign contributions. He has just responded. More on that ahead. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life. I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. This breaking news just in with a source confirming to CNN that the FBI has seized New York City Mayor Eric Adams' phones and an iPad of his in part of its federal corruption investigation. All of this is coming mere days after his chief campaign fundraiser had her home raided by FBI agents as well. I want to bring in CNN's Polo Sandoval, who is covering all of this. 
Um, this is a really dramatic escalation dramatic of this probe. Dramatic and, I can't say it enough, significant escalation and a significant development in this investigation. As we've now learned, according to reporting from our colleague Kara Scannell, uh, citing a source, a person familiar with this ongoing investigation, that New York City Mayor Eric Adams's phone uh, and also an iPad seized by federal investigators as they continue to probe uh, that uh, fundraising investigation, as you just mentioned a short while ago, I want to get straight to what we have heard directly from Mayor Adams himself. In a statement that was released to CNN by his campaign attorney spokesperson, Boyd Johnson, in fact, we have that, we're able to put that up on the screen so you can follow along here, as they have uh, responded to this latest news saying, as a former member of law enforcement, I expect excuse me, all members of my staff to follow the law and fully cooperate with any sort of investigation and I will continue to do exactly that quote I have nothing to hide against these are the words of Mayor Eric Adams through a spokesperson and as you mentioned this development coming on the heels of what we just recently learned in the FBI raid of New York City Mayor Adams's chief fundraiser as they continue to look uh, determine whether or not his 2021 campaign uh, fundraising potentially uh, received some of these foreign funds with a, uh, through a Brooklyn-based construction company to potentially funnel foreign money into his campaign. So a lot of questions right now about what the mayor did know or potentially did not know as uh, this latest development comes to light. Kate. Yeah, and I mean, the New York Times says that essentially the FBI agents approached him on the street and that's when they notified him that they had this court order subpoena warrant to get his phones, to get his iPad, that they returned them a few days later, yeah. the New York Times says. But all of this is part of that wide-ranging investigation. Clearly, I mean, it's a lot more serious than we thought. He's a former member of law enforcement, as you noted there, but he's saying that he still is maintaining he didn't do anything wrong, that he's not accused of anything. He still maintains his innocence. And uh, we have heard him repeat, we have heard from him a couple of times already, especially after that latest development, at least what we came to light in the last few days. And that scene that, that, that's laid out in that New York Times reporting, it really is just incredible. This idea of federal agents approaching the mayor of America's largest city and then uh, requesting to get their hands on these documents. So again, it cannot be said enough, and we can't underscore it enough. This is a significant development with a lot more to come. And so what had happened, it was uh, November 2nd, I believe, that yeah. was when his chief fundraiser, who's young, she's only 25 years right. old, I believe, had her home searched by the FBI. They took some some devices right. there. What's at the heart of this investigation that, that we do know? So what we can say is that law enforcement officials who are familiar with the search warrants have previously told CNN that the uh, investigators, they're specifically looking into evidence that foreign nationals who are actually barred from making any campaign contributions mm -hmm. uh, may have uh, in essence bundled some of these donations going into uh, New York's Turkish American communities and then getting U.S. citizens uh, of Turkish origin uh, the, the, the basically act as straw contributors. Now we have reached out to various stakeholders in this investigation waiting to hear back. Hello Sandoval, a dramatic yeah, so uh, escalation. Thank you for that reporting. Up next, you know, there's a lot more to talk about on this developing story and what is at the heart of this. When we come back, we actually have one of New York City's most best sourced political reporters here on set with us. We'll talk to her about what she's hearing with the rest of our panel. More on our breaking news this hour as we are learning that New York City Mayor Eric Adams is now saying he has, quote, nothing to hide after it was revealed the FBI agents seized his phones and an iPad earlier this week 
all part of this federal investigation into his campaign fundraising. Our panel is here with me. And Emily, obviously, you are a well-sourced New York reporter. I mean, this is the first time that we've seen this probe get this close and directly touch the mayor. Exactly. And the New York Times in its reporting calls it a dramatic escalation of this investigation into the mayor's campaign. And as you said earlier this week, he was approached by federal agents who asked his security detail to step aside and seized his electronic devices. This happened just a couple days after his chief fundraiser's home in Brooklyn was raided and documents were taken pertaining to his campaign and its fundraising. And Have we seen Mayor Adams this week? I mean, has he indicated publicly at all that this happened? He didn't. This happened earlier this week, I believe on on Monday, according to the reporting. He had no public events on Tuesday, just closed door meetings and calls, his team told me, as usual. And then he did his weekly off-topic news conference, addressing reporters in the press corps on Wednesday, taking questions on every topic that we would want to ask and said nothing uh, about this incident. That's really remarkable. I mean, we have heard from him now. He's putting out a statement saying that he feels like he has nothing to hide. One thing he said, Joe, he said, quote, I expect all members of my staff to follow the law. It's not just his staff. He is also himself now directly involved in this. We don't know that he's done anything wrong, but certainly this is very close to him. Well, look, I I think that uh, we should caution and remind people that everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Uh, A probe is not necessarily indicative of any guilt. Uh, But I do think that the actions of the president or the mayor absent of his words um, are a little bit different. So if you look at what happened, he basically turning around from D.C. uh, to to basically get home, as they say in politics, uh, to figure out what they're going to do. It appears he may have known that this was coming or there was some escalation was coming. So, look, we have to let the facts uh, bear out wherever they go. But I do think that certainly it's troubling when you have the mayor of New York City in the midst of a migrant crisis, in the midst of an economic crisis, suddenly have to worry about his own fiscal house of order, so to speak. Yeah, well, and potentially criminally, criminal exposure. I mean, Michael, the day that his campaign fundraiser, the chief campaign fundraiser's house was was raided, that was the day he was supposed to go to Washington. He was supposed to have all these meetings at the White House. He instead canceled those. How big of a concern is this for, for Democrats here if, and of course, innocent until proven guilty, obviously. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been charged or accused of anything. How big of a concern is this, though? Well, with little information we have, I don't want to write the guy's political obituary, but, um, you know, his statement was strong. It seems confident that he, at least maybe, he, he might not even know he's, he's committed a crime himself. Um, so what I would advise the, the team over there would be to tell everything you know, tell it early, and tell it yourself. Uh, because you, the last thing you want is drip, drip, drip of information coming out like we've seen with other politicians. Yeah, I mean, it's a major concern. How does he typically respond to, I mean, you've seen the mayor, he has a lot of bravado. You know, we've had him, we've interviewed him multiple times here at CNN. How has he been responding as these developments have slowly been happening in this investigation? Well, he's been insistent and and consistent in that he's cooperating with the probe that he himself, as a retired NYPD captain, is a law enforcement official and will help law enforcement in turn. And he maintains that he hasn't been charged. He hasn't been accused of wrongdoing, which is true, nor has Brianna Suggs, his chief fundraiser who's 25 years old, in charge of the millions that important his campaign. But the allegations, as uncovered by the New York Times, that obtained part of that search warrant are pretty serious. The campaign is under investigation, uh, apparently, for allegedly conspiring with the Turkish government to funnel illegal donations into his campaign. It is not legal to take foreign contributions if you're an American uh, politician. 
And New York City has a very generous matching funds program. And if you leverage some of the donations locally the right way, you can get more public financing dollars for your campaign. Yeah, a lot of questions here. We often hear these allegations of a two-tiered justice system, but it is evident that they are investigating both parties alike. We actually got an update today on the investigation, the classified documents investigation into former President Trump. The judge there indicating not yet that she's moving that trial date, which Trump is certainly trying to do. Right now, it's still on track to happen in May 2024, right before some key political dates. I mean, how much is that a factor into what next year is going to look like in the presidential race? Well, it's quite clear that the road to 2024 is going to go from courthouse to courthouse um, if you subscribe to the belief that President Trump is undoubtedly going to be the Republican nominee for president um, uh, in 2024. I think that certainly there are people who feel as if there is a two-tier justice system. Certainly some of the things that have happened here uh, could clearly be said were brought on the president by his own actions. But I do think that there are some legal theories that have been acknowledged that are uh, in many ways a novel or at least stretching the law to the limits. So I think that is part of it, the hyper-partisanship of how we analyze these issues. But ultimately, to your point, as we get closer to 2024, polling numbers today will not be what polling numbers look like in May or June. And it's uh, probably naive to think that it's not going to be colored by what occurs inside these courtrooms and some of those rulings as we go uh, through this kind of maze here of courtrooms. Yeah, I mean, that date, if it sticks, is one day before primaries, I believe, in Kentucky and other states. Well, How does the White House, I mean, we saw President Biden at a fundraiser in Chicago last night talking about who could be his, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. opponent in 2024. How does he handle trumping in court regularly? Does he talk about it on the campaign trail? What's I, your advice? I, my advice would be to rip the bark off the guy and... Uh, attack him or hit him back whenever he hits Biden, which he's done successfully, or the Republicans have. They've dragged down President Biden's personal approvals. Um, But look, I mean, two-tiered justice system. I saw your interview last night with one of his lawyers. I can't keep track of how many. Former lawyers. Former, whatever, yeah. (laughs) uh, But to say that there's a two-tiered justice system, Hunter Biden has been under investigation for five, almost six years, longer than the Whitewater investigation and Monica Lewinsky investigation. Uh, Senator Menendez, who you brought up, has been in, has been investigated, I think, three times by DOJ. He knows better. And he was there. And I, I saw him talking about the Secret Service and how it was a no-go. I mean, the fact that Secret Service agents could be brought. Yeah. I mean, he was so indignant about that. But he must have a short memory because President Clinton's active head of detail and two other agents were uh, brought in to testify. And just uh, recently, they're going after the president. They're suing the the Republicans have sued the uh, Secret Service for records about the president's dog. Maybe the cat's next. God bless her. A lot of questions about what that looks like. Thank you, one and all, for being here, especially on that breaking news with you, Emily. Up next, we are a week out from a potential government shutdown. Right now, there's no plan, so we could very well be headed to one. This deliberate approach that we are seeing the new House Speaker take could potentially cost him party support. That's a big question. We'll go to Capitol Hill right after this. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts.
Just into our sports lead, the Big Ten Conference is now sanctioning the University of Michigan football team over allegations about sign-stealing violations. As part of those sanctions, we have now learned that the head football coach, Jim Harbaugh, has been suspended from the last three games of the regular season. He previously denied that his program was illegally stealing any signs. He said he was fully cooperating with this investigation, but now he will not be able to be on the sidelines for those three games. Will still be able to coach during the rest of the week. I should note Michigan is currently ranked third in the college football playoff rankings. More to that in a moment, but now to our politics lead. The federal government on track to shut down in seven days from now. And so far, House Speaker Mike Johnson has not offered many, if any, really clues about what he plans to do to keep that from happening. CNN's Melanie Zanona is live on Capitol Hill. Melly, I mean, have we gotten any closer to some kind of plan being formed from Republicans? Yeah, Caitlin, we have a new speaker, but they are running into the same old problem. Speaker Mike Johnson has really been wrestling with his decision all week. He has yet to reveal his plans for government funding, but he has been very deliberate and careful here in how he approaches this because he knows this is likely to be the most consequential decision that he makes as speaker to date. And at issue here is that the Republican conference is divided over what path they should pursue. There is moderates and appropriators who are pushing for just a straightforward, clean stopgap sending bill. But then conservative hardliners are pushing for this much more complicated idea where they would extend funding for government agencies for various amounts of times, essentially teeing up multiple fiscal cliffs. Now, that option would be dead on arrival in the Senate. So it would risk a government shutdown, which Johnson absolutely has told people he does not want on his watch. But at the same time, he does not want to infuriate his right flank especially so early on in his tenure. And meanwhile, lawmakers are really growing anxious for him to finally reveal his hand here, while the Office of Management and Budget has already started to take formal steps to prepare for a potential shutdown in one week. But we could see a window into Johnson's thinking soon. I'm told that he is aiming to release bill text, although it's not finished yet, by tomorrow with the hopes of voting on a bill by Tuesday. So a really big moment for the new speaker here that's going to tell us a lot about his vision for government and for the way he plans to rule over this House Republican conference. Caitlin. And we know how much lawmakers love to work on the weekend. Melanie Zanona, <laughs> thank you for that. Ahead, inside the investigation that's happening right now into suspicious letters that have been sent to election offices all across the country. I'm going to speak with one election official who said she had one sent to her office that had fentanyl inside, and she's not alone. The FBI says that suspicious letters sent to election offices in six states may be connected. These are offices in California, Georgia, Nevada, Oregon, Texas, and Washington, all reporting that they are getting these mailings. Most of them have contained a powdery white substance and in some cases had traces of fentanyl, according to election officials. With me now is Julie Wise. She is the elections director in King County, Washington, one of the counties that got one of these letters. Julie, I know it's been about 48 hours since this letter arrived at your election center. What have you heard, if anything, on the latest of this investigation? We have heard um, that it's confirmed to be trace amounts of fentanyl in this envelope. It is similar to what we are seeing, sadly, across this country that election administrators are receiving. It is our second letter with fentanyl to date that we've received this year alone. That's, I mean, hard to even imagine that it's the second one 
that you've gotten already. How does everyone at the office feel? I mean, they must be scared to, to come to work, to check the mail, to do basic things that you do every day in an office. Well, over the last three years, we've really seen a clear and coordinated effort to undermine elections and election administrators. So sadly, the tone has been um, along the same lines for the last three years. So we have prepared our team for incidences just like this. And um, the team is certainly disheartened and saddened that folks want to cause them harm, but they are also determined to continue this important work in counting ballots, in democracy, because we believe in it. That's powerful to hear that they're they're determined to keep on with their jobs, despite these obvious threats that you're getting. You know, you're in Washington. Georgia is also another one of the states that received a suspicious letter that we are also told had these trace amounts of fentanyl. This is what we heard from the Secretary of State there, Brad Raffensperger, obviously well-known, talking about the seriousness of this threat. Some people like to call fentanyl a drug but it's actually poison. It'll kill you. It'll kill you very quickly, very easily, and it's very dangerous. We lost our son five and a half years ago due to a fentanyl overdose. We know how deadly this stuff is. What's your reaction when you hear him talking about this, not just being a drug, but but calling it poison? Absolutely. This is an attempt to stop elections, and it's an attempt to break us and to harm us. And, um, you know, that just makes us all that much more um, uh, determined to continue running democracy and counting ballots and being election administrators. You know, the election administrators really should be seen as heroes and not enemies. These are human beings who are your neighbors and who are part of your community that are called to be a civil servant because they love their community and they're passionate about conducting nonpartisan accurate, secure, and accessible elections. You talked about how people are still willing to come to work. They still want to come and do that important job that you noted there that is just done by by our neighbors. Do you have any concerns, though, that these kinds of threats, these kinds of letters that you're getting in other election offices could discourage people from, from doing these jobs, from getting involved in this? Absolutely. We've already seen across this country a mass exodus of election administrators because of these threats and intimidation and bullying. So absolutely are nervous about being able to attract and retain the amazing election administrators that we have across this country. And I feel the exact same way here in King County. You know, they want to go home at the end of the day to their families and they need to make a priority for their own mental and physical safety. So absolutely concerned about being able to have the stellar election administrators uh, across this country and and in King County. And so I think it's really important that we prepare our team um, physically and emotionally, mentally to be prepared for incidences like this to come, because I believe we'll certainly see more of it, sadly, next year in 2024's election cycle. Julie, I know the FBI is still looking into this, who sent these letters, but if you could speak to that person, given what you just said there, who did send these, what would you say to them? I would say that um, you really are uh, focused in the wrong direction. Election administrators, again, are quite the heroes and not the enemy here. And I understand 
but you have been fed lies about our elections for the last several years and the confusion around this. But these are not the folks that are um, are really the ones that should be attacked here in this. These are folks, again, that are dedicated professional election administrators that want to make sure that their community members have their voices heard in our democracy and that this is not the right approach to um, have your concerns addressed. It's a powerful statement. Julie Wise, I'm sorry that this is happening to you and your team, but thank you for coming on to talk about it because it's obviously critically important. Thank you. Coming up, CNN's Jake Tapper with some survivors of the October 7th attacks by Hamas. Their decision to make a memory of that day permanent. The horrors of the attacks by Hamas on October 7th have left images ingrained in the minds of so many around the world. Some people who survived that day want to make sure that they stay that way. Jake Tapper visited a spot in Israel where art has taken on a new role in reflecting life. I think of the whole process of getting a tattoo is a little bit therapeutical. At John Boy Tattoo in downtown Tel Aviv, October 7th survivors wear their pain on their sleeve or wrist or thigh. Like going through therapy, but not like uh, going to a therapist. They feel that they make maybe uh, something that can, uh, something that can make uh, this stay forever on their body. Yeah, maybe they, not they here. Lo- yeah, they lost something. Yes, maybe but not. this will last forever as long as they're around. Yes, that's exactly the thing. I actually have uh, clients that were uh, murdered there. You do? Yeah, yeah. Someone that did a sleeve and he had, uh, had appointments and uh, he was supposed to be, uh, he was supposed to be here tomorrow. Danny Ginsburg owns three tattoo shops in Tel Aviv, but for now has consolidated business to the one closest to a bomb shelter. After the terrorist attacks on October 7th, he says the usual requests for cartoon, pop art, and photorealistic work have shifted to a demand for memorial ink. Now, I don't want to be a stick in the mud, yeah. but I happen to know that it's against Jewish law to get, tattoos. to get a tattoo. Yeah. Because the body belongs to God and uh, the soul belongs to you, but the body belongs to God. So how, That's do, you, right. how do you reconcile that? I think people uh, today are more understanding that uh, not everything that is written down in the book, uh, they have to go by the law. You said a lot of people are getting stars of David too. That just be like, yeah. kind of like an act of defiance. Like you're going to kill me. Because you're going to kill us because we're Jewish. Well, I'm going to. I'm going to put it right on my own. Yeah, I think it's like uh, showing everybody that we are not scared, and uh, we are going to show everybody that we're Jewish, and we're proud of that, and we want everybody to know, and everybody should remember those dates. The stories, as emotional as they are, elaborate, such as the one of this soldier who was among the first to respond to Kibbutz Be'eri where at least 130 were brutally killed. There were bodies on the floor, he says. Women, children, the elderly. Just awful. It's difficult to explain it in words. As I'm explaining it, my eyes are shaking a bit. The young soldier did not want to show his face or the final tattoo for fear of being identified when he returns to battle. I want to get this tattoo in memory of two soldiers who fell in battle with me, he says. Very few soldiers were able to come to the burial because we were in the field. It's also for the soul, so I can unload, he says. I'm in a special unit with the IDF. It's something for me to unload a bit. 
Part of his elaborate final tattoo has paw prints. What was the story with the dog? A dog from the canine unit entered a home before my team and I, he tells me. The dog noticed a terrorist waiting for us there and was hiding on the side. The dog alerted them, but unfortunately was killed. Because of him, we are alive, he says. Me and a few of my friends, but two were killed in the battle. We buried them two days later. I was saved by a miracle. Across the room, Daniel Vaknin is getting his memory inked on his thigh. He was at the Nova Music Festival and had just arrived when the attack that killed more than 260 began. You just, you can hear the shootings all over your head. Massive shooting, and then you hear it, but I serve the army, so I know how bullets sound, but this one, like, really whistles near to your ears, near to your head, like, choom, choom. You see bodies all over the roads, all over the, the, the driveway. Some of, them, some of them are dead or some of them are just captured. Soldiers and bodies all over and you see, it was like looking at the apocalypse. Daniel says he eventually found safety at a nearby kibbutz where he and his girlfriend stayed for nine hours, receiving periodic and devastating updates on his phone. We heard stories and we saw videos of our friends just slaughtered and, and you don't even understand what's going on. So um, what I want in my tattoo, uh, the flower is supposed to show the growth that no matter what we, we, we can grow from it. And it's a beautiful thing and this specific flower is from this area and the angels is the people that we lost to just went up and <laughs> not with us anymore and Jake Tapper CNN Tel Aviv and I should note that, that soldier who spoke with Jake was on the first day of a two-week break from service after more than three weeks of the war he'll go back to fight soon no doubt with tough days ahead coming up this Sunday on State of the Union You'll see National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, obviously Israel, a major topic for the White House. Republican National Committee Chair Ronnie McDaniel, former senior advisor to President Obama, David Axelrod, and the former Republican governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan. That's this Sunday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern, and again at noon here on CNN. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll be back tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern on The Source. Our coverage continues right now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.